mentioned around communion, we're starting a new series today that's called Foundation. And so the focus of our series is to talk about some of the key practices, some of the key habits that really help us to be able to grow in our relationship with God. And so we're doing this because we believe that's kind of why we're all here, that all of us have a desire uh, to grow in our relationship with God. We believe that God's not done with us yet. There's still more that he wants to do in our lives. And so we want to invest in those relationships. And that's the key reason that we're here as a church is because we believe that God wants us to see people's lives changed, that he creates us to be the people who reflect him and uh, that we're created with this sense of being able to be the people that he wants us to be. But that's an ongoing journey that takes all of our lives where we continue to grow, we continue to develop. And so as a church, we're here to support and equip and encourage that journey of growth in people's lives. The challenge for us when we think about our spiritual growth is that we live in a culture that gives us a couple of very, very clear messages. The first one is uh, quick fix. So if you uh, want something, then go and buy it. It's there. Go and get it. If you're not well, then go to the doctor and uh, it'll all get sorted out. So we kind of get trapped sometimes into this way of thinking that everything should just get fixed instantly. If there's something that we need, then we should be able to get it immediately. And so the challenge when we think about relationships is that we know that's not how they work. If you think about friendships, if you think about your family, there is no such thing as a quick fix to develop and grow a relationship. The only way to grow and cultivate a relationship is an investment in that relationship over time. Consistent investment over time allows us to have deeper relationships. And that's the same in our relationship with God. It's just about a consistent investment in that relationship over time. And so this series is not supposed to be a bunch of quick fix, here's the answers, and then magically, ta-da, you've got a fabulous new relationship with God. But it's about some tools that we want to invest in in our lives so that we can grow and develop. The most helpful metaphor that uh, I think is useful when we think about our spiritual growth is the metaphor of gardening. Now, I will admit up front that I am an amateur gardener, at best, probably, and I will also admit very, very openly that uh, I have very little motivation to garden in our current house because we're renting it, and I know we're not going to be there long term. So, But I will say this, I pruned our roses yesterday, so there we go, I am doing something. But we are really looking forward at some point to having a house that can be our house so that partly we can have a veggie garden. So when we were in Toronto, we had a veggie garden, and uh, each season we would take some time uh, to be able to do all the work that was necessary to grow a bunch of our own veggies, which is a very, very rewarding process. And when you do gardening, you need to start by making sure that the soil is right. So you can't just plant stuff anywhere. You've got to make sure that you're planting it in soil that's really, really healthy. You've got to make sure that the plants are planted in the right places so that plants are getting the right amount of sun that they need and certain plants aren't taking nutrients from the other plants that they're next to. You need to make sure that then those plants get nutrients, so water, obviously, um, but also other plant food that you can give to help nourish the plants. And then you need to make sure that uh, there's no weeds growing that take nutrients away, that there's no pests that destroy the plants. And from time to time, you need to do some pruning to cut things back so that they can grow even more effectively. And if all of those things happen and the environment is right, then things just grow organically. And all of us know that there is nothing better than homegrown fruit and veggies. They just taste better than anything that you can buy, particularly anything that has been artificially sped up. 
So you've all tried food that has been genetically modified or where stuff's been done to try and make it grow quicker or grow bigger than it should, and it just doesn't taste anywhere near the same. Same comment. There's no way you can speed up the process. It just needs to be allowed to have the time that it needs. And our relationship with God works the same way as a garden. We need to make sure that we've planted ourselves in healthy soil. And so that's why we need to be a part of a healthy church like this one, to be able to be in a place where we are surrounded by other people who are going to encourage us and challenge us and help us to be able to grow. So this is the soil in which we plant ourselves. We need to make sure that we prioritise things right, so we've got the right things in the right place in our lives, so that we've got the space for things to be able to grow. We need to make sure that we're getting the right nutrients in our lives, which is what this series is about a lot. What does it look like for us to read the Bible, to pray, to journal, to cultivate these things that then allow us to have the nutrients that we need to grow into the people God wants us to be. And then we also need to make sure that at times we're doing some weeding and pulling out some things that are maybe stealing nutrients from us, that we need to do some pest control at times, or that we need to do some pruning. We need to do some cutting back so that the fruit that's being produced in us can be even healthier. And so that's really what this series is about. Another way of saying it would have been that it's about having some gardening tips for us to be able to grow a healthy spiritual garden in our lives the way that God wants us to be able to do. And so that's why we've got this icon for this series, which is a set of roots. And that's the idea, is that I'm hoping that this series will help us to just plant our roots down even deeper into the soil that God's got us in so that we can continue to grow and be the people he wants us to be. And so my hope and my prayer is that regardless of where we're at on our journey, this will be a helpful series for us. So for some of us, we have never or hardly ever read the Bible. We've never or hardly ever prayed in a consistent way or in an intentional way. We haven't journaled. Um, But for others of us, we're veterans and we've been doing these things for a long, long time. And my hope is simply that wherever we're at in our journey, there'll be some clarity about a next step for us to be able to take one thing that we can put into practice in our lives so that we can continue on that journey of growing. But I also hope that it will give us some good things that are good conversation starters with people around us because the majority of people who are our neighbours, the people that we work with, even people who are part of our families, don't know any of this stuff either. And so my hope is that there might be some good tips or some good conversation starters in this that help us to talk about how other people can grow their spirituality as well. So we're going to spend five weeks doing it. So today we're going to talk about what the Bible is. So today's a bit more of a kind of step back message where we're going to kind of take an overview of the Bible. Next week we're going to talk about eating together as a key spiritual practice. Some people are very, very excited about that because eating is near and dear to our hearts. So, And next week, as I said, is one of our shared lunches. So the good news is the homework for next week, which I'll give you in advance, is stick around for the lunch and put into practice the stuff that we talk about next week. So we're going to spend some time just hanging out together and being community gathered around food, which we know is a key part of our spiritual journey. So we're going to talk about that next week. The week after that, we're going to talk about how to read the Bible. So that'll be more of the practical, how do you actually read the Bible? and get stuff out of it. The week after that, we're going to talk about how to pray. And the week after that, we're going to talk about how to journal. And the reason why it might feel a little bit fractured, it's kind of a bit weird that we're talking about what the Bible is today, and then in two weeks, we're talking about what the Bible is, is because we've also tried to align this with what we're doing in our kids' ministry, in God's gang. So today, they're talking about what the Bible is, and then next week, they'll obviously be in with us for our family service. But the week after that, they'll be talking about how to read the Bible, 
and the week after that they'll be talking about how to pray. And so we're really excited that all together we'll all be learning kids and adults about the same stuff. So today, what is the Bible? We're going to talk about uh, what it looks like to uh, embrace this amazing book that we've been given. And so there are three parts to today's message. And I'll say up front that if this is the first time you're hearing some of this, some of it may feel a little bit overwhelming but that's okay. Just hang in there. And if you have questions or stuff that you want to explore more, then I'm more than happy to chat about those things afterwards. But we're going to start by talking about what the purpose of the Bible is. So what's the reason that we have the Bible? Then we're going to talk about how the Bible is made up. What are the different components of the Bible? And then we'll finish by what's the content of the Bible. So uh, what do we find within the pages of that? So begin by asking this question, what is the purpose of the Bible? And I want to ask you to think about what your answer would be to that. If you had someone this week who said to you, so what is the Bible? Like, what's the Bible for? What would your answer be? For some of us, we might say something that we've heard many times in church, which is that the Bible is the word of God, which is a good answer. That means almost nothing to the majority of people around us. They wouldn't have a clue what that really, really means. We know that that means that God speaks to us through the Bible. But if we just said, the Bible is the word of God, most people would just not have a clue and be very, very confused. Some of us would say the Bible is kind of like a handbook or a textbook for life. It helps us to be able to understand how to live lives the way that we're supposed to live, which is a pretty good answer. So that could be helpful. Uh, If we asked other people what it is, some people would say, well, the Bible is just kind of a history book. Like it's just got a bunch of stuff that happened in the past. And so the Bible's just about stuff that happened in history through a bunch of other people. I think the majority of people around us, if we ask them what is the Bible about, they would say it is a list of do's and don'ts. And uh, honestly, for a lot of people who've never really looked at the Bible, they would be surprised that if you open it up, it doesn't just have a checklist in it. Do these things and don't do these things. Because I think that's the impression that a lot of people have of what the Bible is. So the passage that we're looking at today gives us a helpful starting point for this question about what's the purpose of the Bible. And in a couple of weeks, when we come back and talk about how to read the Bible, we'll talk about the importance of context, which means that as we look at the Bible, we need to understand what's happening in the specific part of the Bible that we're looking at. And so as a little bit of a taste of what we'll talk more about, this today comes from a letter that was written by this guy whose name is Paul. So Paul was one of the leaders in the early church, a guy who went around and planted a bunch of churches, a bunch of communities that were centred around Jesus, and he then wrote letters to these communities and to specific people within those different communities. And in particular, he took one young man under his wing whose name was Timothy, this really great young leader in the early church uh, who he spent a lot of time with, but also wrote two letters to that we have, which are just filled with really, really great advice about what it means to follow Jesus and be a person that God can use. So in the second letter that Paul wrote, 2 Timothy, in chapter 3, we have Paul saying these words. You've followed my teaching, my conduct and my purpose in life. You've observed my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions and my sufferings. And so in the first part of this chapter, what Paul's saying to Timothy is, you've seen what my life is like. And so continue to embrace the things that you've been taught through me. You know what my character is. You know the way that I've treated other people. But Paul also says, you know the persecutions 
and the sufferings that I've experienced. You know all the hard stuff that I've been through. And that should actually be an expectation that you have as you follow Jesus. That life is not supposed to be all roses and really, really easy. And that's an important note for us as we start to talk about what the Bible is. Because if our understanding of following Jesus is that it's going to be all really, really easy, that the Bible is all about how to live a happy, healthy, wealthy life, then that will mean that we have a very skewed perspective as we come to the Bible. But if we take Paul's advice and recognise that following Jesus is going to mean that we have challenges, that we do experience suffering in our lives at times, then when we come to the pages of the Bible, we're looking for encouragement. We're looking for strengthening. We're looking for the ability to know how do we work through those things, not feeling surprised that those are a part of our everyday life. But then Paul says in the verses that we read earlier, in verse 14, a very clear understanding about why the Bible exists. He says, As for you, continue in the truths that you were taught and firmly believe. You know who your teachers were, and you remember that ever since you were a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, that last sentence is pretty jam-packed with a whole bunch of pretty full-on words. So scripture is there, the Bible is there, to give us wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul says the purpose of the Bible is simply this, to give us wisdom. So wisdom is about understanding. Wisdom is about being able to recognize what's true, what's real, how to understand things in a significant way. So the Bible gives us wisdom about salvation. And salvation we've talked about before as this idea of being saved or being rescued, that God comes along and rescues us. He saves us from living lives that are filled with selfishness and our own agendas and sets us up instead to be a part of his family. And so how do we get this understanding about salvation? Well, it's through faith. And faith is better understood as trust. And who is that trust in? That trust is in Jesus. So Paul's simple answer to what the purpose of Scripture is would be to say that Scripture is there to help us have understanding about the way in which God has rescued us, not by what we achieve, but through trusting in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. So when we read Scripture, that's what we're discovering out of that. But then he keeps going. He says in verse 16, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching the truth, rebuking error, correcting faults and giving instructions for right living so that the person who serves God may be fully qualified and equipped to do every kind of good deed. So Paul says all scripture is inspired by God. Other translations have what I think is beautiful language where it says all scripture is God-breathed. And so what we understand by that is that all of the scriptures that we have, all of the Bible was written by normal everyday people just like you and me. But when they were writing down what we find in the Bible, we discover that those things were inspired by God or that God breathed life into them. So they literally, as we're reading them, jump off the page at us. These words aren't just normal words. They're words that God has breathed life into. And Paul then says that we gain all of that understanding about the way in which we've been rescued through trust in Jesus so that we can learn the truth, we can understand the truth about how life is supposed to work, we can have our errors 
rebuked and our faults corrected, which may seem a little challenging. It's like, well, I don't know about that part of it. Um, but I think a helpful way of understanding what that looks like is kind of like in a sporting match where at halftime, a coach brings the players in and gives them a bit of a talking to to say, here's some things that we need to correct. Here's some things that we need to change. Here's some things that we need to do better. Unfortunately, it looks like Simon Goodwin last night did a really good job of that with Melbourne, not so much with the Crows. So, but it's this idea of coming in and saying, we need to change what we're doing, or we need to make these things a higher priority. Your skill isn't quite right in these areas, and so you need to make some changes. When we talk about this idea of rebuking error or correcting fault, that's the idea. We're kind of getting a half-time pep talk from God to be able to say, here's some stuff to work on as we continue to move forward. Paul then also says that it's useful for giving instructions for right living, and uh, that word, those words right living, otherwise translated as righteousness, which is about having a right relationship with God. So again, scripture helps us to understand that we've been given a full, complete relationship with God. And scripture helps us to understand how to live out that amazing relationship that we've been given. And ultimately, all of that is done so that the person who serves God might be qualified and equipped to do every kind of good deed. Which is a great reminder that scripture is not there just to give us a bunch of theology or a bunch of doctrine or a bunch of stuff to learn. Scripture is there to help us to be able to understand how to put into practice the things that God wants us to be able to live in our lives, how ultimately to live lives for the good that God has got for us. So that's our first part. That's the purpose of Scripture, to be able to help us to understand what God has done for us and therefore how to live the lives that God wants us to live. The challenge with the Bible, though, is that it's not a normal book. So when you start a normal book, you generally begin at page one, and then you read until the end of the book, and then you finish the book. And it all makes sense. It all kind of flows together. And so uh, all of these things that we're talking about, you would think, start at page one and keep reading, and it all makes sense. But that's not at all the way that the Bible is constructed. And in actual fact, the Bible can be better understood as a library rather than one book. The Bible contains 66 books, and a lot of those books are all different types of literature. So it's not just 66 books that are all the same, but we have some books that are narratives, so they're books that talk about things that have happened in history, specific people's lives and what's been going on uh, at different times uh, throughout history. Some of the books, particularly Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, are biographies. So those four books talk to us about the life of Jesus help us to understand his teaching and help us to understand what the implications are of his death and resurrection. Some of the books are songs and poetry. And so if you were to open up a book that you knew was a book of poetry, you would approach it in a very different way than how you would approach a book that you know is a biography. And so it's a great example to recognise that we have these metaphors and these beautiful images that come through books like the Psalms to be able to express who God is and what God's done, but it's a very different type of literature. The majority of the second half of the Bible, what we call the New Testament, are letters. So as I said, they're written by people like Paul and others, these leaders in the early church, writing to churches or writing to individuals to talk a bit more about how to follow Jesus. 
And so once again, you approach that in a different way than you do other types of literature. We also have some books in the Bible that are prophecies. So they're books that talk about things that are going to happen or give us images of understanding what God's up to or what God is going to do. And so the Bible is this book of 66 books that is better understood as a library that has a whole bunch of different types of literature in it. But what's fascinating is that within that massive library and within all of those books, there's one big story arc that kicks in. And so this is where I want to finish today by talking through what's called the meta-narrative of Scripture. Now, meta-narrative sounds like a big fancy word, but it really just means a big story that contains meaning in it. And uh, I've had the privilege of being able to do some work um, on the big story of God in a number of different settings. And in particular, one of my close friends, Travis Johnson, has done a lot of work talking about how we can break the Bible up into a number of different episodes within this big story. And it's helpful because it kind of reminds us, so if you think of uh, big movie sagas, so if you think of the Avengers movies, or if you think of Star Wars movies, if episode, then you kind of learn some stuff about it. But when you watch that movie in the context of all of the other movies that are a part of the meta-narrative, all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of extra meaning that kicks in. And so there are a number of different ways of breaking the story apart, but I've found this to be a really, really helpful one to understand how scripture fits together. So it begins with episode one, oddly enough, which is designed that we understand at the beginning of the Bible that God helps us to recognise what his purpose was in creation, that God created the universe and the earth and everything around us, including us, for one purpose, so that we could have a relationship with him and each other. That's why God created us. And so his original design was that we would live the way that he wanted us to live so that we could live out this amazing relationship with him and live in a healthy relationship with the people around us. So that's episode one, which is at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. However, God created us with the ability to say yes or no to that. Because God didn't want to create a bunch of robots who would just say, yes, I will obey you, God. He wanted us to be people who would pursue a relationship. And a relationship has to involve choice. So God bakes into us the ability to say yes to what he's given us. But he also bakes into us the ability to say thanks, but no thanks. And so very early on in the story, in Genesis 3, in fact, the third chapter of the Bible, we read that we made a decision as humanity to say thanks, but no thanks, God. We would rather choose for ourselves the way that we live our lives. And so that is episode two, which can be called broken. Because what happens then is that there's this fracture that kicks in in our relationship with God. Instead of being able to see things clearly, suddenly everything's distorted because we've made our own choices about living life the way that we want to instead of the way that God wants us to be able to live. The good news is God doesn't give up at that point. God could have very easily said, well, fine, go your own way then, and that's it. It would have been a very short book, and that would have been the end of the Bible. But fortunately, God doesn't do that. He continues to invest in the relationships with these people who over time continue to say thanks but no thanks. And so the whole journey of the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, is the story of this group of people called the Israelites and God continuing to work with them to say, here's what it looks like to live out a healthy relationship with me and a healthy relationship with each other. And the Israelites say, 
thanks but no thanks God, and they walk off and go and do things their own way and then realise that that brings even more brokenness into their experience. So eventually they come to their senses, they come back to God who faithfully welcomes them back and says, here's what it looks like to live in a healthy relationship with me and a healthy relationship with each other. And the Israelites say, thanks but no thanks. And off they go again and then they come back. And so that's the Old Testament. It's just this weaving in and out of God saying, here's what I want you to do because this is what you were created for. And the Israelites saying, well, that's great, but we're going to go this way, but then coming to their senses. Now, what happens as that goes on over time is that there's this growing expectancy, which is episode three for us. This growing sense that God's up to something, that through all of this walking away and coming back, through this faithfulness that God shows, that at just the right time, God's going to do something that's going to change it once and for all. That God's going to bring this person, who's called the Messiah, along, the one who's going to be the rescuer, the one who is ultimately going to put us into that right, perfect relationship with God, that God always created us to be able to have. And so as time goes on, we see more and more understanding kicking in about who this person is going to be. And then episode four kicks in with the arrival of Jesus that we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is the start of what's called the New Testament. And we call this episode presence because this means that God's presence becomes a part of our everyday reality, that Jesus appears on the scene as God in human form, that Jesus comes to show us what it really looks like to live a healthy relationship with God and with the people around us in our everyday lives. Jesus comes to bring the presence of God, to be God among us. One of the names that we use for Jesus is Emmanuel, particularly at Christmas time. And we say that because Emmanuel means God with us. And so Jesus comes to show us what God is like, what's most important to God, the way that God relates to people, and the things that God wants to make priorities. Episode 5 then comes at the end of Jesus' life. And we call this episode Satisfied because through Jesus' death and resurrection, we believe that everything has been done for us to have this amazing relationship with God that he always created us to be able to have. We believe that Jesus' death and his resurrection means that it's finished. It's all complete. And now we get to live out that real experience every day. Episode 6 then comes as Jesus invests in the life of his closest friends, his followers, his disciples. And he puts them on mission, where he says, your responsibility is now to go and tell other people about the truth of what God has done and what it looks like to live in a healthy relationship with God and a healthy relationship with each other. And that episode, episode six, mission, continues today. We're a part of that mission, where God gives us the privilege and the responsibility of being the message bearers who help others to discover what God has done and what it looks like to live the way that he created us to live. And we believe that at the end of all time, episode seven will happen, which is restored. That at the end of all time, God will ultimately restore us to a perfect relationship with him where we get to experience life the way that he created us to live 100% of the time, where there's no more sadness there's no more anger, there's no more hurt, there's nothing else that's wrong. Everything is the way that God created us to be able to live. 
So as we walk through the pages of Scripture, we see these things unfolding. And that's really important because depending on what we're reading, there might be different things and different themes that are coming through. But what's amazing is that that also then speaks into our lives because as we read the pages of Scripture, we understand why we were created, why we were designed, what our purpose is in life. We understand that all of us experience brokenness in our lives and we know why some of that happens, often because of our choice to say thanks but no thanks to what God wants us to do. We live with this sense of expectation that God's at work that God's up to something, that God is doing something in our lives, that there's more to life than just what we experience right now. We find ourselves as people who are on mission. So all of these themes flow through. It's not just God's big story, but it's the story that we find ourselves in as well. And ultimately, that one big story is all about one person. It's all ultimately about Jesus. The Old Testament points forward to Jesus. The Old Testament looks forward in anticipation of what Jesus is going to be like and what he's going to do. The New Testament then, particularly the letters and so on, look back on Jesus to be able to say, this is who he was and this is what he's done. And so the Old Testament, uh, sorry, the Bible at the end of the day is all about Jesus. Ultimately, that's what we read through the pages of Scripture. So today, as I said, has been a little bit of an overview, a bit of a step back, which is really, really important because as you'll see in a couple of weeks when we talk about how to read scripture, it's very important for us to understand all of these themes so that we can get the most out of what we're reading in scripture because otherwise it's easy for us to take things out of context and misuse them or for us to misinterpret stuff in a really unhealthy way. So we'll come back to that in a couple of weeks. But as we wrap up today, for a practical takeaway thing to think about as we head into this week, I want to leave you with this question. How's your garden? How is your garden right now? If you think of your spiritual walk with God as a garden, how would you describe it? Is it in a fairly healthy place? Is there fruit growing? Are things in a good space? Is there a few weeds around the place? Is it a little bit dishevelled? Does it need a little bit of work? Are there some parts of the garden that you know need some extra nutrients? Is there some pruning that maybe needs to be done? But what's the state of your garden? Because as we head into this series, as I said at the start, that's really what our focus is, is to say how do we give ourselves the best chance to create an environment in our lives where we can grow into the people that God wants us to be. We don't do any of these things so that we can earn God's love or earn God's favour. But we really want to say, how do we create a healthy space in which God can speak into our lives, help us to understand what he's done for us, help us to understand who we are, and then help us to discover what it means to be people who authentically follow Jesus. So as we head into this week, it's my encouragement is to take some time to reflect on that and then to think as we head into this series about the areas that you'd like to work on your garden through the next month or so. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this amazing book that we call the Bible, this amazing set of books, this amazing library, this amazing resource that you have given to us. We thank you that you have given to us so that we can understand what it means, that you have acted on our behalf, that you've done everything necessary to save us, to rescue us, to set us up 
as people who get to experience life the way that you created us to live. We thank you that scripture at the end of the day is all about you, Jesus, that it's all about discovering the ways in which you show us what God is like, the ways in which you teach us how to live a life that is completely dedicated to our relationship with your heavenly father, our heavenly father, and with each other. And so I pray that as we step into this series, that you would give us an even greater sense of passion and heart to read scripture, to get into it and to discover how we can learn what it means to be swept up in this amazing story that is unfolding all around us and that has been going since the beginning of time. As we begin this series, I also pray that you would encourage us, that you would help us to know that our spirituality and the things that we do are not things that we have to add to our to-do list that just gets bigger and bigger all the time, nor are they things that we do so that we can hopefully earn your favour or convince you that you should love us. We do these things as a response to how much love you've shown us. And we do these things so that we can give ourselves the best chance of growing and being the healthiest people that you want us to be. So as we step into this series, as we step into this week, I pray that you continue to help us to reflect on that, to recognise those areas in our lives where there is some work that we can do, but also to recognise those places where you want to speak into our lives and we just need to create more space for that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.